Hey, I'm Jared, and this is a great day. You know, we have so much to celebrate as we crawl out from under the COVID rock. It's summer at Evergreen, and I love hearing your stories about good stuff happening. And Evergreen, we are in a good season of blessing. You've heard about kids and youth summer adventures, mission trip plans, Father's Day outdoor service, generous financial giving, plans for summer sports, progress on the turf field project, we are coming through strong, healthy, and happy. Good job hanging in there. And, and thank you, Lord. You know, one reason we're emerging well is that a lot of people have done some very hard things the past 16 months. Very hard things. You've cared for the sick, brought food to the suffering, worked in the food bank, prepared and recorded world-class online content for kids, led online groups for kids, students, and adults, recorded and edited weekly worship, and, and tried to love your family, your neighbors, and your colleagues. Doing hard things. Last December, I felt led toward a verse for 2021. It reads, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And out of that, I inferred this goal for 2021. Earn my reputation by trying to do hard things well. And let's keep it simple with a tagline. Do hard things. Well, just a few days later, it happened to be December the 21st, I visited a friend. Now, I had seen an Instagram post a few days earlier of him taking a polar plunge in the frozen over elk lake near Bend. You might be familiar with it. He went with some of his buddies and they just chopped and sawed a, a big hole in the middle of the frozen lake and he jumped down into it and then jumped back out. It was a fantastic uh, view. I also discovered that none of his buddies joined him in that. They were just happy to take the pictures. So I talked with my friend a little bit about why do you do this crazy polar plunge thing and discovered that he had gotten into cold water therapy, that he was quite an advocate, uh, that every morning he goes out uh, to the water feature at his house and he takes a three-minute soak in nearly freezing water. And uh, I was intrigued, and so he gave me a book by uh, Vin Hoff, who, um, who's kind of a pioneer in this field, and lots of science has been done about the potential benefits and blah, blah, about cold water plunging. But I just thought it was a really interesting thing. But the more I thought about it, I thought about cold water plunge and doing hard things. <laughs> Do hard things. You know, I realized that I have a lot of privilege. Privilege to avoid doing hard things. I, I can live in a house that stays between 68 and 72 degrees. Same with my car. I can ask staff to do the dirty work at Evergreen. I could park next to the building in a designated parking space. I could use the executive office bathroom. You know, I can avoid doing most hard things in life. So I decided to start every day for one year taking a five-minute cold shower. I know I'm crazy. None of you are going to follow my lead in this. But I started that practice on December the 22nd. I hung up a timer in the shower to count down the time. 
And every day I'm very aware of the discomfort of the cold water and I say to myself, I do hard things. And it sets my day to face whatever comes. And little did I know that 2021 was a year that I needed to learn to do hard things. You see, only Jesus knew that 2021 would be the hardest year for me in the past 10 years. It is hard. And maybe you feel the same way. You know, I was with a thousand pastors this last week, and I had many conversations. And one of my friends said, quote, 2020 was tough, but you know, we just bucked up and we led through the pandemic. But 2021 is much more difficult to keep showing up and pressing ahead. So how are you doing? Are you fed up, tired, struggling, working hard to do the right thing? If so, Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount are just for you. It's all about doing the better thing. And the better thing is often the hard thing. In chapter 6 of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses six things. We heard about doing good, about giving to charity, about prayer. Last week, Bo talked about fasting. Today, priorities and values. And, and next week, we're going to talk about work and worry. In his blog this week, James Clear wrote, quote, Your mind is a suggestion engine. Every thought you have is a suggestion, not an order. You see, sometimes your mind suggests that you're tired and that you should give up or that there's an easier path to take. But if you pause, you can discover new suggestions. For example, that, that you'll feel good once the work is done or, or that you have the ability to finish things even when you don't feel like it. You see, your thoughts are not orders, merely suggestions. You have the power to choose which option to follow. And today we learn how about priorities and values in Matthew 6, starting at verse 19. And listen, you have the power to choose Jesus' way. You can do hard things. This is what Jesus says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what we just read, Jesus makes one point about money and then illustrates with three metaphors. You know, the dangers of wealth are often mentioned in the New Testament, but nowhere is wealth condemned. 
What Jesus condemns is greed and the hoarding of material possessions, the opposite of generosity. So here's Jesus' point. Choose your priority, God or stuff. And here's the first metaphor. Stuff deteriorates, investment in God and people appreciate. So getting stuff shrivels your heart, but investing in God and people expand your heart. Now, moths and vermin, just imagine those little mice, they represent all of the agents and processes that destroy possessions. Break in and steal? Houses in Palestine in Jesus' day had walls that were made of mud bricks and could be broken into easily. Treasures in heaven? Anything done in this life that has eternal value will be rewarded. Loving God and loving people. Metaphor number two. Eyes are either 20-20 or blind. (laughs) It's your focus that makes your sight good or bad. So choose your focus. If you're focused on being generous with your money, you will see well. Your entire person is healthy, just as a, a healthy eye lets in light to guide an entire person. An eye focused on God will see more clearly. Just as a blind person sees only darkness, one accumulating possessions will get everything wrong from God's perspective. Now, this is a fun little play on words because the original word for unhealthy can also be translated stingy. So stewardship of possessions is a key barometer of spiritual health. Well, here's metaphor number three. No dual citizenship. It's God or it's money. My Uber driver this week has tri-citizenship, Greece, Canada, and the United States. And he told some amazing stories of autumns in grief on the historic family vineyard, winters in Oregon wine country, and summers up on the north tip of Vancouver Island. But Jesus says, no dual citizenship in his kingdom. The metaphors on choosing between masters culminate in Jesus saying, quote, you cannot serve both God and money. There can be no divided loyalties, not even in our prosperous capitalistic America. Greed is the antithesis of God. Now, Jesus personifies wealth of uh, of possessions of all kinds as a rival god called mammon. Now, this work in the Greek is manoina, meaning wealth, riches, property. And Jesus suggests that we're tempted to worship the god of materialism. You know, the greater American sin is not sexual stuff. It's financial stuff. Jesus didn't say you have to choose between sexual issues and God, but he clearly says you have to choose between money and God. Because greed and covetousness are the favorite traps of the evil one. So commands and warnings against greed are common in the Old Testament and in the early church. 
And ultimately, there's only one choice, service, love, and devotion to God or money. Loving God is serving and giving oneself to him completely. Our heart, soul, mind, and strength, money, and all. This week, I read a book by researcher Bruce Hood called Possessed. Why we want more than we need. I was challenged by this quote. We are defined by what we own. And the psychological power of ownership is so strong that individuals will risk their lives to keep their possessions. The prospect of death should be a sober reminder of the ultimate futility of ownership. And so he goes on to tell this story. In 1859, 450 passengers on the Royal Charter, returning from Australian gold mines, was going to Liverpool. It crashed just offshore, and 450 drowned when they were shipwrecked. And many of them were weighted down by the gold that they would not abandon so close to home. The psychologist Dan Gilbert calls this miswanting. And it's a common human affliction. We're just not very good at predicting how much joy and satisfaction that acquiring things will actually bring us. And this is particularly true for ownership. And indeed, much consumer advertising works by selling us the promise that we'll be happier owning particular products. And then there are the long-term consequences of ownership. You know, many of us buy and consume more than we need in the full knowledge that we're acting irresponsibly towards future generations because of limited resources we're using up, the expended energy and increased carbon emissions. The vast number of the people on the planet and their, their activity are contributing to global warming, and it is their consumption patterns that are the most significant factor. Individually, we don't feel personal responsibility. We justify our actions as insignificant in com comparison to the 7 billion others and question why we should curtail our behavior when everybody else is helping themselves. Even though individually we could really uh, readily die for our children today, ownership is such a motivating drive that we're not really going to change our wanton consumerism for the next generation. Now, the Bible's clear. We come into the world with nothing, and we leave with nothing. But in between, our belief, our moment on life's brief moment on life's stage, we, we strut and we fret over possessions as if our existence is defined by what we own. But for many of us, our lives are controlled by this rentless pursuit. Even though we do so at the risk of ourselves, our children, and ultimately the future of the planet. And Jesus clearly says, don't. You know, we can think that happiness will come from owning things, but if anything, it often leads to misery. Very few people can look back at their life and uh, say about their life preoccupied with the, preoccupied with the accumulation of wealth and honestly conclude, you know, that life was a life worth living. No, we're so caught up in the chase that we rarely truly appreciate the achievements or the costs 
for the individual, for humans, for the planet, for eternity. And when we take into consideration all the effort, all the consumption, all the disappointment, all the injustices, ultimately all the damage that we've wrecked in pursuit of material wealth, it does seem to be such a wasted life to constantly strive to own more stuff. Note that Jesus reserves his most damning statements for matters of economic justice, where power is most resistant. For example, we read today, you cannot serve both God and money. He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Or, or in Jesus' clear dichotomy in Matthew 25 between the sheep who feed the hungry, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit the imprisoned, and the goats who don't. The context is important. Jesus' foundational bias is always against false power and in favor of the powerless. Unfortunately, Many Christians have managed to avoid most of what Jesus taught so clearly in the Sermon on the Mount, nonviolence, the sharing of resources, simplicity, loving our enemies, all hard things. History shows that we almost always compromise the gospel issues of justice, power, money, and inclusion. But there's good news. More and more people are finally learning the artful balance of practicing clear-headed critique and open-door compassion at the same time. These are the people who recognize the human need for restitution, making amends, full public accountability, and forgiveness and patience. If either are sacrificed, we do not have the full gospel. So Jesus today gives us a clear choice and an invitation. Come to the table of relationship and life. Come to the table set with God's generosity. Be a person of generosity. You know, communion is, is moving forward. Jesus says, come, come and eat. He says, come and drink. And when we move forward, when we move toward, we're also simultaneously moving away from something. Moving toward is a priority decision about what is, is less and what is more important. You know, I'm so proud of you. Many of you do this so well. And some of us struggle. And, and some of us just may be learning to think about your spiritual use of resources. I have a friend who is sharing his generosity journey with me. He's worked hard and long and smart in his business and, and he has significant wealth. He's always been very generous, giving 10% of his income annually to his church, and in addition, supported many ministries and given generously to education, benevolence, and the arts in his community. And now, later in life, he is focused on how to pass the baton of generosity to his children and grandchildren. 
You know, he wisely does not want to burden them with the disaster of an inheritance without the generous purpose and practice of stewardship. Now, like me, you may not have his net worth, but we can join his heart of kingdom investing rather than personal possessing. You see, coming to Jesus' meal about relationship includes turning from money and stuff and possessions as the passion and pursuit of our life and turning from the great American sin of greed. Following Jesus, it includes the hard thing of of opening our hands to give instead of grasping our hands to get. You know, I know it probably sounds goofy, but my cold daily shower reminds me that the better way is often the harder way. Listen, friends, it's called discipleship. The word is discipline. It includes giving instead of accumulating. It includes investing God's tithe and giving support. It gives to the poor. It pursues justice. It helps those in need. It it more than pays its fair share. You see, generosity is a channel for God's unlimited resources. Will you do the hard thing? In my devotional time, I read this just this morning about Jesus' crucifixion. How unjustly and illegally he was accused and tried. That he was beaten, he was killed. And in his final words, he says, Father, forgive them. You were included in that very hard thing. So let's receive his gift today as we pray, as we eat, as we drink. God, thank you for sending Jesus, your beautiful and perfect son. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth and wearing human clothes and a body and living life in every experience and dimension that we encounter and doing that beautifully and perfectly. And then giving your life in our place to pay the price of death for our sin. And then on the cross you said, Father, forgive them. And today we enter into that gift of forgiveness. We have gone our own way. Forgive our sin. Heal our brokenness, spirit, soul, mind, emotion, and body, relationships. Heal us through your broken body. And Lord, through your shed blood, as you forgive our sins, give us the fullness of your Holy Spirit to do the hard things of living the life of following you. Lord, would you teach us as you lead us and as you showed us today to turn toward you, which is always a turning toward your generous heart and spirit. We receive your body, we receive your blood.
and let's drink together. Lord, we receive you. And now help us live your life as you lead us this week. Amen. Well, friends, so great to get to be with you again. And we just love getting to connect and hear from you. So please reach out. Let's be in touch. We'd love to have a conversation this week. Have a great one.